This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. There's a long-distance train rolling through the rain. Tears on the letter that I write. There's a woman I long to touch, and I'm missing her so much, but she's drifting like a satellite. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, part of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about Where Are You Tonight? Journey Through Dark Heat, the final song from 1978's Street Legal, is comics artist Sam Hester. Hi, Sam. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's totally a pleasure. I, I haven't been a big Bob Dylan fan in the past few years. Like I kind of fell out of my big fandom and listening to this podcast got me kind of hooked back in again. So I'm really excited to be here. First of all, thank you very much. That's a wonderful thing to, <laughs> to hear. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you introduced yourself to me through your your comics that you've been drawing, specifically the ones you've been doing about your Dylan fandom. You're seeing Bob live and stuff like that. And, you know, as people who have listened to, I don't know, older episodes of my show might remember, I did that when I was in art school. I did some like sort of short form comic book storytelling, illustrating Dylan songs. And so, you know, now I wasn't drawing them the way you were doing. We'll talk about your, your work in a moment. But when you sent me that stuff, I was so charmed by it because it, you reminded me of you know, my passion for Bob was so strong that I just had to like get it out in another form. You know, yeah, it wasn't totally. just, a, it wasn't just enough to like listen to the songs and bother all my friends about the songs. I had to get it down on paper. Yeah. Well, those, uh, and, those words are so strong. They need to be illustrated. They need to be like jumping off the page. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like I said, I just absolutely loved what you did. And I can't wait to talk about it, but let's start even before all that, which is how did you become a fan of Bob in the first place? Hmm. So I have my dad to thank, I guess, to start with, because my dad was a big fan of folk music and he often would play his guitar and sing folk songs for my brothers and me when we were little. And he sang a lot of songs, which I only realized even as an adult were Dylan songs. So I didn't hear a lot of Bob Dylan singing his songs when I was a kid, but I heard my dad singing those songs. And it wasn't <laughs> until I was a grown up, I heard Don't Think Twice, It's All Right being sung by Bob Dylan. I thought it was just like an old folk song my dad sang. So <laughs> I really loved those songs. And then I had this uh, experience when I was in my fourth year of university. I went to the University of Toronto in Toronto and uh, I had a roommate. So I, I needed to move in with a roommate for so we could live on our own in our last year of university. But we needed a third roommate to live with us because then we could cover the rent. And my friend said, oh, I know this other girl who needs somewhere to live. Maybe she could be our, our roommate. So this other girl who I didn't really know at all moved in with us. And she was getting really into Bob Dylan. She was getting kind of converted to be a big Bob Dylan fan by a friend of hers who lived in the States, who was sending her all these mixtapes and, you know, like co compilations and albums that he'd kind of recorded for her. And so she shared them with me. And I was like, oh, I, I know a lot of these songs. This is amazing. And so the two of us kind of totally were obsessed with Bob Dylan for our whole fourth year of university while we lived together. And our our other roommate who was not sharing this experience had to kind of tolerate us being like completely. I was wondering about day. that. What the other one <laughs> yeah. thought. I was like, oh boy. It was like so like, yeah, patient and understanding and like closed her door a lot of the time. Because we just <laughs> were it was fun to share that it's obsession with my friend though, because both of us were like analyzing lyrics and like listening to different kind of versions of things and just becoming familiar with how much different stuff there was. There was like stuff from the eighties and stuff from the, you know, the sixties and everything. So that that was how I first really got into it. And then that sort of led to us seeing some shows together. That's fantastic. I love it when it's sort of wonderfully organic like that. You know, mm -hmm. it's like a, it's a it's a, a random person introduces you to it and then it's but I do feel bad for that roommate because they must have just been like, <laughs> yeah, Oh god, if I hear bout of a thin man one more time, I'm gonna yeah, die. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so no a lot of People that have been on the show have been introduced to Bob through their parents or through their dad, through their mom. Now, yours is the first one I could think of where you were talking about your dad actually sang the songs to you. Can you like when you when you started hearing Bob's versions, you had a very personal version to compare it to. What did you think of his voice versus your what your dad was doing? 
Yeah, like I became, I be, I, be, I knew Bob Dylan as well. Like I, I also have a memory when I was about 12 years old driving with my mom in the car and she turned up the radio and she said, oh, you've got to hear this guy who's, he's got this line about, you'll know what a drag it is to see you. Like what a great song this is. And so I, I heard Bob Dylan sing that song and I heard the Traveling Wilburys and I, I knew his, what his voice sounded like, but I just didn't connect it to the old folk song so much. Gotcha. Somehow until a little bit later. And then it, I had to kind of put the puzzle pieces together because they were familiar, but unfamiliar too. That That's, that's really, that's really cool. Uh, what did your dad have a particular set of favorites of Dylan songs that he liked? Like, Oh, I love this one. I'll play this one more well, than it's some funny. others. Yeah. My dad was like, he was kind of like a, a suburban white guy in Canada, like growing up in Toronto. And he really loved Judy Collins and he loved the Kingston trio and Peter Paul and Mary. So I almost feel like I heard like those versions of Dylan's songs before I even heard like that. Even even my dad was kind of singing them at second hand because he heard he's saying like, oh, I, I can't think of like he, he loved to sing Don't Think Twice. It's all right. But he also sang like Paul is Brown. And he also sang, like, <laughs> I don't know, when the ship came in, when the ship comes in, like different <laughs> different songs that he'd probably heard like Peter, Paul and Mary cover. I like the idea of your dad singing a song about a guy who has to kill his children. <laughs> I know. He has I no money. That, we kind of laughed at that at the time. Like, what a horrible song. But we, we, it was kind of like a funny song that didn't had nothing to do with our life. But now I listen a little more soberly as an adult when you think about what those songs were really about. Oh, man. So, okay. <laughs> well, the, kids, just here we go. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. It's going to go on for nine minutes. Just sit down, everybody. Uh, <laughs> no television. We're going to sit and listen to so, yeah. okay, well, why don't you describe to the people, I mean, we'll, you'll get a chance to, to talk about where people can see these things, but why don't you describe a little bit what your comics kind of are, your style, just the, the, the whole the whole thing of it. Hmm, well, so I, I studied writing at university and then I went to art school for a bit and I figured out that comics were kind of the medium that was the best one for me because I could use words and pictures. I kind of feel like more like a writer and a storyteller than an artist, although I never could use words that were just standing on their own. I always want to have pictures there too. And so I guess when I was a student a long time ago, I started writing autobiographical comics about just whatever was going on in my life because it was like a fun way to keep a journal. And then as I started seeing more Bob Dylan concerts, it just felt like, well, that was the what I was doing. So that's what I should write about. And Mm. yeah, I, I, I kind of, got out of the habit of writing just those kind of journal style comics until a while ago I thought oh maybe I'll try that again a little bit as I'm looking back on the old ones and thinking about how fun it used to be but usually I do write comics for my job I write and illustrate stories and draw pictures of stuff so I've always sort of worked like that but I don't always get to write about my own personal stuff quite as much. Were there particular comic artists whose work inspired you either on an art mm. just on a style level or just the approach because i mean there were certain comic book artists who have done that have done kind of like the personal journalism yeah, yeah. kind of kind of view of it are any of those of that that you kind of said oh i could that's the thing i want to do but apply it to my own life oh, that's interesting i think probably all the famous comic books i've been Im- impacted by like when i was growing up i loved reading tintin and uh, mm-hmm. just seeing like the the realism of the of the landscapes and the pictures that were telling these stories, but with these sort of fun and familiar characters. And I read Archie comics and, you know, I read Mad Magazine. I read all the all the comics that were around. But then as an adult, I've also read, you know, the story of Mouse and mm-hmm. the stories, mm-hmm. the works of Joe Sacco, who writes real comics journalism. Mm-hmm. And just I can just see always uh, the, the power of images and also kind of like the the invitation to tell a personal story is somehow more okay when you're drawing pictures and writing from your own perspective in a comic than it always is in like sort of an article that's meant to be a bit more factual and impassive mm-hmm. so it, it gives you the it gives you the excuse to add in some emotions and some of the stuff that you the pictures kind of invite in i guess sure just by the the, the medium that you're in you're you're kind of setting the expectation as to what this is you know that it is mm-hmm. going to be a personal story and you said you mentioned joe sacco and that yeah he's done you know, kind of like war journals and things like that yeah. i mean really really heavy stuff pretty again amazing stuff yeah. but i think about just because it's relevant we're talking about like i went to art school and i was mm. taught by the legendary comic book artist joe kubert and mm. you know he did lots of you know war comics sergeant rock he was famous for that he drew hawkman but then later mm. on in his life 
he started doing kind of what you're talking about, comics journalism. He did a book hmm. called Facts from Sarajevo, which okay. was about him befriending a guy that was going through the war during that time. And so, you know, somebody even as famous as, as he was, he was kind of like moving into that territory of like, this is factual and it's journalism, but it's also his personal story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just how you have that sense of like kind of communication with the artist, because as you're talking about, it's not just an article. You're seeing the pictures accompanying, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. whatever it is you're talking about. And of course, not everything you're, you know, I've been reading ever since I signed up for your Substack. I'm reading all the comics that you're mm-hmm. sending and you, you know, carry all, you talk about lots oh, of different things. Yeah. Um, what is the, what medium do you use? Is it literally pen paper or are you doing it all on tablets at this point? Yeah, well, definitely in the old days, I brought a little drawing book along with me and I just had a pen and I would just write in ink and then I would color with pencil crayons. That was my like portable comics journal method. And I, I've kind of returned to doing that recently. I've, I'm finding it so much fun. But I do draw on a tablet. Like I write some comics for a local journalism outlet here in Calgary, where I live in Western Canada. And uh, but for a lot of those, I've been working digitally. And that that is okay too. But it's also, I find it's a little, I don't know. I find when I'm working on a digital tablet, I know I can erase it. I can make a mistake and go back <laughs> and fix it. And so I do. And so everything takes longer. And it's just, it's not as quick and easy to do is if I just draw it with ink and I know I'm committed to that line. Like I can't change it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll tell you, like I, you know, when I got out of art school and I kind of found my way into my illustrative style that I was getting work doing and I was doing all these things on pen and paper. And then I moved into doing it all digitally because as you were talking about, as I got more and more work professionally, I was like, well, I want to be able to change it and, and fix it and make changes, yeah. you know, and that of course, enabled me to go faster and, and turn the work in a lot easier, you know, but, and that's how I did it for the, you know, the sort of the next 15, 20 years of, of doing it. But I will tell you, I miss having the physical object. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked, I, I, you know, back when I was doing them on paper, I would just pile them up in a box and I had hundreds of illustrations that I did. And it was, you know, it was once in a while, it was kind of fun to, go back and look at them. And then once they became all digital, they're like, well, they don't even exist anymore. And I don't have yeah. a drawing. I don't even have a drawing table anymore. So it's like, I could go back huh. to that, but I, yeah. I do miss having an object that can hold in my hand. Yeah. It's handy. And it's, it's healthy too. Cause otherwise I'm always like looking on my phone and instead if I'm just sitting and I have a sketchbook, mm-hmm. I can sketch. Like if you can bring it with you and it's portable, then it's more likely that you'll do it. And it's harder to whip out your drawing tablet when you're just, you know, sitting waiting somewhere or something. So yeah, I don't absolutely. know. I, yeah. So, okay. Uh, well, I mean, I was you know, normally this is where I would ask you, have you seen them live? I know you've seen them live because you've talked about it uh, in, in your comic. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, the the I have a good memory of the first time I saw Bob Dylan, which was with that same friend, the roommate of mine who was getting into Bob Dylan with me. And it was a couple of years after we had really started our like big, you know, fandom, you know, feelings that we had. And we read in the newspaper and like the old fashioned newspaper, like Bob Dylan was going to play a show in Toronto. And we really were like, Bob Dylan's still alive and he's playing shows. Like we had not got that on our radar at all. This was in 1996. <laughs> and, you know, the, in- the internet was still pretty new. Like you couldn't mm-hmm. look things up that way too much. And we hadn't really thought about it. Like we were so happy to have the music that we had not even, it hadn't occurred to us to go looking to actually find Bob Dylan in real life. And now we found out like he's coming to our city, so we should go. So there were two concerts that he was playing on two nights back to back. And this was how silly we were. We chose the second night, which, you know, if it had been just a little bit later, we would have figured out like, no, we should go to both of these shows. But no, we just (laughs) picked the second night. And the concert was at a venue called the Concert Hall. It was an old Masonic temple in downtown Toronto. And it was a small venue of about a thousand people standing room only. There were no seats. So we just like walked in and walked right up to the front of the stage. And we were like, really? Like in a few minutes, Bob Dylan is just going to be here like a few feet away from us. And that's exactly (laughs) what happened. And we were completely like overwhelmed with amazement. Like he was standing right up. We were right in the middle at the front and he was like staring in our eyes and like sweat was dripping off his nose. And we were like, like that feeling that you've described of being in the same room was definitely the feeling that we had. So that was our first show and it was still a show I cannot forget. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't it? Isn't it just such a, a remarkable experience to just, you know, to know you're just in the presence of the guy. It's just, mm-hmm. it's crazy. He's, he's still around. Like this, it was so different for us because we hadn't been looking forward or expecting that that would ever be a thing that happened. We thought his music was a little bit in the past. Like it wasn't, mm-hmm. he had not yet released time out of mind. He didn't 
seem too much like a contemporary artist to our generation at that time. But we, even though we loved his music so much, it seemed like it was kind of done. So it was not done. He was still there. <laughs> <laughs> and at so, that uh, concert, he, he played a, a Grateful Dead cover, Friend of the Devil, mm. which was really awesome to hear. And he also played Seven Days, which was a song I had never heard until that night, but it was like a really great song to get to hear live. Really? He played Seven Days? Yeah. That's very, that's a real rarity. That was a good one to hear. That is fantastic. I don't think I even knew that he... I mean, I'd have to look it up. I don't think I knew that he ever did that song outside of that initial run in the seventies when he debuted it in front of everybody. I didn't. I don't. I, I didn't I know that he I ever went back up. to it. I think. I think there's been a few, like a, not too many, but I think he's done it a few times. I looked it up some time ago when I was looking around for those kinds of things. But yeah, that was a special one to hear. That is amazing, boy. If you could, you know, some Bob fan should do to come up with some sort of like point system. You know, where like and you can like you, you get. <laughs> You get one point for like a Rolling Stone. You get one point for all right. the Watchtower, but you get like thirty for seven days. Because when else? How often is he going to sing seven days? Uh, well, the, that's the, that's really the Bob cool. Serve website, like the website where you can check your own personal stats on which mm-hmm. shows you see. That's almost doing that. Like that's such an amazing. That's true. Resource to, to like that's look at true. Your own Bob Dylan song journey. Yeah. Oh, that is really cool. So how many how many times have you gone since then? So I I stopped keeping a really good count somewhere along the line. So I'm not exactly sure, but around 50. Wow. Yeah, it's been, it was busy because what happened was after I, after we saw that first show, we saw a couple more shows where we took some road trips, but uh, like from Toronto, but then I got uh, a job and I I had studied like literature and art. And I was like, I cannot get a job doing these things. So I found a job as a flight attendant because uh, Air Canada <laughs> was hiring wow. people who spoke German. Yeah, I used to live in Germany, so I spoke German. And so they said, we need German speakers to be on this new flight from Calgary to Frankfurt. And I was like, well, I can do that. And I am from Calgary. That's where I grew up. So I moved back to my hometown of Calgary and I worked on this flight from Calgary to Frankfurt. And I did that job for 15 years until I had my kids. But uh, because I had this job where on your days off, you could travel for pretty cheap on a standby airplane ticket, all of a sudden, Bob Dylan's tour became much more accessible to me. And so that <laughs> became the reason that I was able to see a few more shows. That's it. That is amazing. That is yeah. completely and amazing. I people. I met a flight attendant who worked for Lufthansa, who really, that airline flies like everywhere in the world, not like where I was working. And she really had the job so she could follow Bob Dylan. Like she was at every show I was at and she had been everywhere and she had some really good stories. So like there's, you know, there's lots of people who used to follow that tour around and maybe still follow the tour around. But it was fun to connect with them and see, like, find out all their different stories. I love that commitment. You know, like, it's <laughs> like, okay, I really want to see Bob, but how do I afford this? I know I'll become a flight attendant for an airline that flies. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I think, just... I think for her, it was like a significant part of her reason to do the job. I think for me, it just happened to dovetail, luckily. And then, like, because I was based in Calgary, I hadn't lived in Calgary for a few years, I didn't really have a lot of local friends. And I, I missed my Toronto friend who liked, liked Bob Dylan the same as me. And it just seemed like on my days off, like I would be, I would head out of town anyway. Like I, what was I going to be doing in this new city where I didn't know anybody? So it just seemed like the right way to spend the free time for those first few years when I was flying. That is fan- that is just absolutely fantastic. I love that. <laughs> I love that story. So you <laughs> mentioned your your kids. I mean, have they? Have you? Introduced? I mean, they must know about it, obviously, because of uh, your, your comics and stuff. Are they interested in this at all? Yeah, yeah, they they've been they've humored me. Like at first they just at first they just sort of humored me, like, okay, we know that you like Bob Dylan. But I also I feel like I had a bit of a a Bob Dylan lapse during the years when my kids were small because I just had so much else going on, lots of family stuff and Bob Dylan's albums during that time, like the Frank Sinatra albums and mm. it but it wasn't grabbing me the same way. And I felt again like, oh, maybe that's kind of over. But uh more recently I've been like much more excited about Bob Dylan. And so my older son, who's 14, um, I did get to take him to a show, I think in 2017, uh, Bob Dylan came to Calgary. So my same Toronto friend flew out and we saw the show together with my son, who was about 12 at the time, or I guess a little bit younger than that. And uh, then my younger son is 10. And so he hasn't seen Bob Dylan, but he is a fan and he especially loves the basement tapes. So we're, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to trying to convert him. And I'm also actually singing him lots of songs on my guitar when I put him to bed at night. And uh, I'm not, I'm probably singing like the Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan to Judy Collins, to my dad, to me version of the song. Like it's getting mm-hmm. <laughs> changed along the way, but same idea. 
That's marvelous. I love that he really loves the ba- the like what what's a, what about the basement tapes? You know that is really. I punch excited. myself in the face with my fizz. Like it's so <laughs> funny. It's just so funny. The orange juice. What was your son's reaction to the concert? Oh well, so my my older son who came to the show in 2017, he is more of a just like he, he tolerates it. He can respect that Bob Dylan is a you know a good artist who is worthy of respect, but I don't think he's been really like blown away by it. But he was really happy that at that show, Bob Dylan opened the show with a Duquesne whistle. And my son is like a giant train fan. And that was a song he actually knew and really liked. So he was <laughs> he was content. And I was content that he had that one song that he could be okay with. That's perfect. Thanks, Bob. Really, <laughs> yeah, really, thank you. Exactly. I was really did sure you a solid gonna... there. Yeah, exactly. That's super. Oh, well, that, that, that all, all that is just, that's just fantastic. I really... Uh, admire that. Like I said, I love the comics. Again, it's, it's speaks to me, you know, I grew up with them ever since my whole life. And so seeing someone taking that art form and doing something with it and then pairing it up with another thing that I like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just like, Oh, this is two tastes that taste great together. You know, <laughs> totally. really enjoy it. So, well, that, that is, it's all just great. So, okay. Well, I'm fascinated as to when I asked you what song you wanted to talk about. And now, you know, I could just tell people, pick just don't worry about it if we've covered it before just pick whatever song you want to talk about and you sent me a list but this was at the top of your list now you said you've listened to the show before you probably know that like and a, a surefire way to get on the show is to pick a street legal song because i'm <laughs> such a sucker for this record and especially i mean we did cover this song uh before and way back in episode seven of the mm-hmm. podcast I love this song so much that I had to get to it immediately. So it's been seven years since I last talked about it. But the minute you had that at the top of your list, I was like, that's it. That's the one. That's what we're doing. So, okay. So why this one? Well, so that that partly was the reason why I was, I was just loving when I listened to the podcast, hearing all these street legal fans. Because first, maybe I can tell you why I have a special place in my heart for street legal. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just because... Uh, when I first was introduced to the music of Bob Dylan, it was through this friend of mine who was giving me, like she was getting mixed tapes from her friend. Right. And then she would remix them and recopy them and dub them over for me. And it's somehow it's funny when I think about it in retrospect, but I didn't just go out and buy all these albums. And like, we were, we were listening to cassette tapes back then and maybe a few times the Sim CDs, but I didn't go out and buy all the albums. I just was completely content to have all these mixed tapes that my friend made for me. And so my introduction to where the songs fit in terms of albums was very confusing, but mm. it was, it didn't bother me. I loved all the songs. I just had no sense where they really fit together. Like I remember hearing the genuine bootleg number three version of idiot wind before I ever heard blood on the tracks, like a long time before I heard blood on the tracks. And I mm-hmm. just thought that was the real version of the song. <laughs> and I heard like the folk songs from good as I've been to you before I heard some of the old folk songs and I didn't know which ones were which. So I was really, <laughs> I didn't really have a good sense of what songs fit where, but there was one time, and this is the story of why I like street legal. My friend and I met up to go on a Bob Dylan road trip. Cause we often would see our shows together. We both flew to San Francisco. She flew from Toronto and I flew from Calgary and we rented a car and we get ready to have this road trip. We were going to go to Santa Cruz to see some shows. And we got in the car and we realized we had no music. And we had a rule that you could only listen to Bob Dylan music on a Bob Dylan road trip. And we didn't have we didn't have anything with us. We weren't allowed to listen to the radio. Like we we had to listen to Bob Dylan music. And so we we dug through our backpacks and our suitcases and we found one cassette tape and it was street legal. And then we just sort of looked at us in horror because we were like, oh my God, we've got to listen to like New Pony and all these songs. Like we have no choice. Like whether we're in the mood or not, this is the only thing we're gonna get to listen to for this whole road trip. Unless we could find some new music, which maybe we did eventually. But because of that, we listened to Street Legal on repeat for like the whole drive. <laughs> and so it just like the the order of those songs and the fact that they're a group that belongs together, like is something I could never forget. Like unlike any other Bob Dylan album, this was like a group that has a coherence that, uh, yeah, it has important an important spot for me. So that was my, when I heard that you and other folks on this podcast love Street Legal, I was like, oh yeah, I feel the same way. Forged in Fire, that, uh, <laughs> that love of the album was, I mean... Wow. I love, I love your nerdy self-imposed <laughs> commitment yes. to that bit. You know, I mean, no one's making you live by these rules, but you've established them for yourselves and God damn it. You're going to live that way. It's just, that's just fantastic. <laughs> so, um, so the, 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 
Well, part of the reason I I defend street legal, eh, not defend, it doesn't need to be defended anymore. It's just, it was so funny to me that like, you know, when I was getting the records like you, right. And I fell in love with this record and I saw reviews of it at the time where it was sort of dismissed and it just, that just floored me, you yeah, know, for sure. utterly like what this song is, these, these songs are so complex and weird and they don't sound like anything off of desire and they don't sound anything like slow train coming how could anybody not like this and that you know and that's part of the reason i feel like i have to again i guess like defend it a little because it just feels like it's so unfairly maligned i don't think i would have loved it when i first listened to it like when i first listened to it i was like oh my god new pony and like oh like no time to think and like these these songs that kind of didn't initially grab me. But when I had to listen to them as a group, that's when I started to really realize like, oh, these are these are part of like a, a cycle of songs that all belong together. And if you take them all together as a group, they're stronger. I almost mm. feel like they tell like the arc of a story of a breakup where in some mm. stages of the, the songs, he hasn't quite come to terms with it. And then other songs where he's totally doing okay with it and he's moving on to the next thing. And I think Where Are You Tonight sort of falls somewhere right in the middle where he's like, there's a tension of, He's still really like stuck in that relationship, but he's also kind of trying to get past it. So I think that's what they, they work together better as a group. I think. I would, yes, I would argue with that. Um, I will say that I have pulled some, you know, when I was putting making mixtapes like you of cassettes and and uh, and then later on playlists for my iPhone or whatever. I pulled a lot of street legal songs off of my favorites. Like you said, I, oh, I sure. you know, I enjoy New Pony, but it's a little hard to listen to sometimes or whatever. You have to so, you have to be in the right mood. <laughs> yes, uh, totally. But this one, I mean, I think Bob is particularly pretty good at album closers. I think he knows mm-hmm. that that the, the, his records record should end with like a really strong statement, and you know, it open the record opens with those initial, you know, the the changing of the guards. One of the great sort of intros of any uh-huh. song is, and then it. To wrap up, to me, I, I would put this on my the list of like his three or four best album closers of all mm. time. This song, mm. th- there's no other place for this song except as the last song. There's just no other; it wouldn't fit any other way. Like I, I, I wouldn't argue with it. I think it's a great as a closer, but I also feel like it's it's sort of in the middle of the journey. Like I think when he talks about we, we better talk this over, he's kind of got to the point where he's like, they, like they broke up. It's okay. They can talk about it now. They can get past it. Or maybe like he's going to be a friend to the woman and baby stop crying. Like he's going to, he can, he can, he's not just like struggling in agony about like his breakup. And this, this, and the chronology, I think this song is still about the the space in the middle where he's st- struggling with those things. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so, that, so... That, like, songs don't have to happen in a chrono- chronological order to be a good album mix, right? It doesn't have to be, happen that way. That is true. Um, I, I feel as though this song in particular is just, it's him the vocal that he brings it is so kind of desperate sounding mm-hmm. it's it's one of the most desperate sounding you know i think uh vocals that he's ever put on a song and we'll get to it when we get to the end but like as as to me the the, the song gets kind of crazier and crazier sounding yes yes you know and it builds and builds and builds and it's so funny to me that um and i might have even mentioned this back in episode seven i can't bear to go back and listen to those old ones so i didn't go back and check but um i remembered hearing this song and i immediately and this this has not happened very much for a lot of his other songs but when i would listen to this song i immediately could conjure what if i had been given the chance to make a music video for this song i immediately had a bunch of images in my head about what i thought it would look like and that's why when you did the comics about street legal it made me the same idea yeah it's the same (laughs) same exact idea they're, they're all like these scenarios where he's talking about like things that happened. Like there's a, there's a neon light ablaze and there's a stripper on the stage and there's a babe in the arms. Like he's just listing off these different things that all have visuals attached to them, or at least a lot of them do. So yeah, it sounds like a music video or a, a story or something. Yeah. I pictured, I it's, it's a little corny and it's maybe a little on the nose, but like I pictured Bob as like a cab driver driving around New York city and, oh. and fight, running into all these people. But he's also, you know, he's busy working, right. He's picking up fares and he's dropping people off and he's seeing little glimpses of their life as they get out oh. of their car and they run in, but he's also 
worried. He's looking for this woman. Like he's he's got this money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's got this woman on his mind, and he's got to do his job. But he's also thinking of this, and that's just sort of what I pictured in my in my head. Well, is that's a, so that's super fascinating to me that you actually have like an an idea of a who like who is the persona of the singer because that's exactly that's my main idea that I think about when I think about this song that I was going to hope to talk about is like who I think is singing the song because. In in different songs of Dylan's, he's sort of got a persona like that can it can be different. Like sometimes he's the lover who's singing directly to the woman, like Lay Lady Lay, he's singing right to her, or maybe he's like, um, I don't know, he's singing to his fans, like tonight I I will I'll be staying here with you. Sometimes he's telling the story, like he's telling the story of Isis or Tangled Up in Blue, like from the third person, kind of as a narrator. So he can kind of adopt this different perspective of who the storyteller is when he's singing the song but I think this is kind of a unique one I don't think he's like I think he's doing something different here and and the idea of a cab driver is kind of similar to what I was imagining too well who do you think is telling the story then in the song who who is who is he in this song yeah so when I first when I listened to it just as I as I was thinking like what 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 are some good songs I realized that I had a specific person in mind who this singer reminds me of and that's uh somebody from a a book. Um, so when I studied literature a long time ago, I had to read a book called Lord Jim, and it's by the European writer Joseph Conrad. He wrote this long novel about this guy and all his misadventures. But the story is told by a narrator called Marlowe. And Marlowe is this old kind of sea captain guy. And he's he's a he's tough, but he's also wise. He's sort of an introspective person. He's been through a lot. And he's sitting around a fire with some guys at night or somewhere in the dark. And he's telling them this long, long story about all these experiences that he's been through and all this kind of stuff he's seen. And I realized that the narrator of this story, at least at first in the song, it reminds me of somebody like that. Like maybe somebody sitting around the bar or somebody sitting around the fire, like a guy who's been through a lot. And he's he's speaking with the voice of experience, but he's 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 putting the story in his past. Like he's talking hmm. about stuff that's happened in his past. So, but a cab driver or somebody else who's a little bit removed from being right in the story is, is the same idea, I think. That's interesting. I never really thought of it that way, that it would be somebody who's got the perspective of it after it's happened. That's it. And it could be like from the lyrics that you could get that. But to me, it's like the way he sings it, it feels like this is it, in a weird way. This is one of those songs that feels like. And I know it's not the case. Obviously, the song's written, but the way he sings it almost feels like he's coming up with it in the moment. It has that spontaneous, yeah, yeah, which I know yeah. what he's got. That he he's often trying to go for that. He doesn't like things to sound yeah. too nailed down. Uh, but I that there's just something about it where it just again, like I said, just gets crazier and crazier. We've got so many instruments, I and mean, we've got the blaring guitar, and you've got the horns, and you've got the the girl singing the hey 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 hey. You know, yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. it's this cacophony of sound while he's delivering this incredible incredibly dark deep personal message you know well, i guess the the thing for me when i'm when i'm hearing him hearing him sing this song the thing about this song that is makes it so great for me is this tension between this guy who's trying to sound tough like i think he hmm. so i guess the guy who's trying to sound tough and the guy who's really vulnerable that's the tension that i think is really cool about this song because at first when he starts the song he's singing in the past tense he's talking about like stuff that happened before like there's a woman I long to touch but well maybe that's kind of the first verse he's kind of more introspectively talking about how he's feeling right now mm -hmm. uh, but then he goes on to list all these things that happened before like there's like she bathed in a stream of pure heat and what her father said and there's she winds back the clock and turns back the page and he's sort of listing all these experiences and maybe when you think of like Bob Dylan's stage in life that he was at he'd been through a lot of stuff and I think he's he was trying to sound, well, I don't know. I don't know how Bob Dylan was trying, but the narrator of the song <laughs> is trying to sound like he's sort of rattling off all these many experiences he's been through and all the stuff that he's sort of like kind of proud of, almost boastful of, like remind me to show you the scars or mm -hmm. it's the line from Is Your Love in Vain. I've been burned before and I know the score, so you won't hear me complain. Like he's sort of like showing all this stuff has happened, but I, I, I handled it. I went through it and, and I, I live to tell the tale to you. But then after all that, he just like totally breaks down and says, oh, but where are you tonight? Like, he, just, <laughs> he can't keep it in. It's, that's what's really driving him. <laughs> uh, and that opening, you know, verse that I quoted, first of all, I, I love the line, she's drifting like a satellite. Yeah. Just something you, I, so... I thought about that. Yeah, because he's he's 
hoping, I think, that she's still orbiting him. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's really over this woman. I hope I, she hasn't like just drifted away off in the distance. She's she's drifting in a way that at least he hopes he hasn't quite broken away from the circle that he's in. Yeah. Oh, I mean, again, I, I just I love the visual of that. Of it's a satellite is something that you know is orbiting you or orbiting where you are, mm-hmm. but you can't touch it. It's yeah. gonna, it's constantly moving, and you know, it's just it's such a great turn of phrase drifting mm-hmm. like a satellite you know mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's and, it's, and it's so it's so revealing like the way this song is that he he's I, I think it's like he's acting like he's he's over all this he's sort of just talking about it he's maybe he's telling the the people around the campfire or he's reflecting as he's driving his cab he's he's thinking about the stuff that's gone on before with this woman but he's still he's still hoping for a future with her or he still hasn't quite gotten over the the relationship with her he's still He's still like, yeah, thinking of her as that satellite that, that um, like even in the metaphor that he picks, he's picking something that still connects her to him. Yeah. Oh man, and it's it it really is, and it's 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 packed with so many just amazing visuals. Again, that you can't but mm. think you conjure it in your image. I mean, there's a neon light ablaze in this green smoky haze. Uh, laughter down on Elizabeth Street and Lonesome Bell tone in that Valley of Stone where she bathed in a stream of pure heat, which again, you talk about like past tense, you know, we're going back. And then he says her yeah, father, would, her father would emphasize, you got to be more than streetwise, but he practiced what he preached from the heart. I love that we're veering into like, he spent time with this woman's father at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, or maybe, you know, maybe not a literal father, but some sort of authority figure or loving figure. So he's, we're drifting around into like he deep into the past of this relationship. And we're gone. We're not sure where we are, but it's mm-hmm. it's we're you know we're getting like oh there's a lot of history between him and who he's talking. Well, that's it. And that what I think is that it's it's obscure to us because we don't know who all these people were like Marcel and Saint John and her father right. and all these people. Yeah. Like we have no clue what all that stuff means. But she does. I think he's like he's singing this song. You know, he maybe he's telling other people he's singing to the fans or he's singing to the people around the campfire. But he's secretly he's hoping that she hears this song and that she because all these references to things that they've been through together if she heard them she would get them and it actually and this isn't to compare myself to bob dylan but this made me think about how when i was first writing autobiographical comics in the days of the internet i posted them online for the first time and just you know with the idea like if somebody looks on the web they'll read these comics and they'll see them but secretly, there was this boyfriend I'd had who ditched me, and I was really hoping that maybe somehow he would see them and he would like see how cool I was and awesome and what a terrible mistake he'd make, right? So even though the story on the surface it was just about anything, here and there there were little things that I thought if he sees that he's going to know what I mean, and I feel like that's the way this narrator is telling this story. He's talking about like, oh, you know, there's, you know, the different things that happened in the song, like she was waiting, putting flowers on the shelf, and you know, the truth is obscure. And it's just, it just makes for a list of stuff that his listeners are hearing. But if this woman could hear that, she was there for all that stuff. She'll know what it means. And he's, he's kind of hoping, I think that maybe she'll, it might win her back or it might, yeah, I don't know, convert her to thinking that he's a little cooler than she had thought or something. (laughs) I absolutely love that idea that you had of like putting in secret little Morse code for your comments (laughs) and hoping, okay, the right person will pick up on this. Lots of writers do, right? Like the meaning, because the, I think this Street Legal is such a personal album. Like he, he's, that's where he's at in the stage of his, as a writer, he's putting in personal stuff that's still veiled. You know, it's not like he's telling like, here's exactly what happened in my life, but he's drawing on his own experience and he doesn't care if it's exactly explicit to his fans to understand, but it is maybe based on some real experiences. Not, and then I'm not saying that he really had like, a full-blooded Cherokee predicting to him something like I don't right, know if there right. if these are literal things that happened, but maybe there's some inside jokes or some references or some some things that if there was a real woman who he was writing this song for might understand. And I don't know, they might have slipped in there somewhere. I, I, I mean, sure. How could it not be? You know how 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 could there not be things that people in real life hear in these songs and they go, God, that's that conversation I had with Bob. You know, right. where, yeah, I mean, that's just natural. Oh my God. Um, so I am curious about the later on, he says the truth is obscure, too profound and too pure to live it. You had to explode mm-hmm. in that last hour of need. We entirely agreed. Sacrifice was the code of the road. Now, for the longest time, when that line about to live it, you have to explode. I always took that 
at least for me, the meaning to me was very negative because exploding, like that's bad. You know, you don't want to explode. It's a terrible thing. But I've, I've over time as I have aged, (laughs) I, I have kind of, I've kind of come around to to that into where I don't think it's necessarily negative in that I, by the fact that it's, it's preceded by the truth was obscure, too profound and too pure. I I kind of on the kind of like, I think now when he's talking about the, the, again, the narrator, not Bob, but the narrator, and he's saying to live it, you have to explode is like, you have to get rid of all of your baggage. You have to get rid of who you were Mm. to this point to live this profound truth. And maybe it could be to love someone so purely, you have to give up all of maybe, you know, either maybe the good or the bad that you've brought to that point. But there's something about it where it's, I, it just went from negative to sort of positive to Mm. me of a guy who, or again, the narrator is someone who is, I've been confronted with this relationship. It's too much. It's too profound. It's too pure. And the only way I could do service to it is to divest myself of who I was. And that could be a bad thing or a good thing, depending on your point. Yeah. Of view. yeah. Huh. I feel like I have a, a, a parallel interpretation. It's really similar to where you're coming from too. Cause I, I, I thought about, yeah, I don't know. I just got on this track of thinking of this, this old sea captain, the narrator who is telling the story. <laughs> Cause I just got the idea that, this, the narrator of this story is kind of trying to sound tougher than he really feels. Mm-hmm. And so when I thought about that book with that sea captain in it, Lord Jim, he actually has a quote in it. That's one of the most, I guess, sort of the most important quotes of the book that he's one of the things he's reflecting on when he talks. And he says, it's my belief. No man ever understands quite his own artful dodges to escape from the grim shadow of self-knowledge. So basically like, people avoid looking within and knowing their own selves. Like they don't really want to know what's in under the surface. And the, and the, the novel is kind of about like, what happens when you look below the surface and find out how you really feel? Like, are you really a hero? Are you really like a wimp or what, what kind of person are you? And in this, this song is about the enemy within, right? Yes. It's about like looking in. And what I kind of wonder is when he talks about like, like kind of some of the things he's reflecting on in this paragraph that you just mentioned in that verse is kind of the question of, in like in in my interpretation, he's not really over this woman, but he's trying to act like he is. And does he know that? Like, is he aware <laughs> of how much is revealed when he just cries out, like, "Oh, where are you tonight?" Like, he's you know he's just go listing his stuff, and then it just keeps bubbling to the surface. The fact that he's like so misses her, or he so needs her, is he like not even aware of that? Like, we can all see that we're listening to the song, and we can tell how he feels. And and I guess I also wondered like. Who is the enemy within? Because he mentions that in the song. Mm-hmm. Is is the enemy within the guy who still loves this woman, who he kind of doesn't want to believe is still there? Or maybe the enemy within is the guy who who had to divest himself, like you were saying, like who had to, like, yeah, I don't know. Who who is the enemy within that he talks about in this song? He mentions him, but I don't really know who that is. That's a really interesting quote that you found from Lord. By the way, I think Bob Dylan, you know, would be quite comfortable imagining himself as a sea captain. I think he's done that a lot in his life. So <laughs> right. I, I would be pretty shocked if he hasn't read Lord Lord Jim. But that's a really interesting quote because, yeah, so much of the song. In fact, there's a quote from Bob himself saying that the the song is about the enemy of the self is, is the two self. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't he doesn't do that a lot. He doesn't go around yeah, telling people to- what the yeah, songs I, are about, yeah, but he did I, it here. I, yeah, I, I, that really struck me because at first I thought of this Lord, Lord Jim stuff. And then I was like, oh, my God, he actually thinks the enemy within is a significant thing in this song. Because what, what I think is neat is that he he starts by singing about this woman in the in the third person. Like she said, he says, there's a woman I long to touch and I'm missing her. But then as it goes on, it's like starting in the fourth to last verse, the last four verses, he says you. And before that, he's saying her. But now mm-hmm. he's starting to say you. And it's like. He's he's pretending that he's over her. He's pretending that he's just like remembering her, but he's like totally still singing out to her. He's like talking to her directly, even though she might not even be there. So I feel like he's a little deluded or maybe he's just a little, I don't know. There's something within that he's still trying to figure out. Yeah. Oh man, that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a fantastic find, Sam. That really but, is. But like he, but he, pre- he presents it to the listeners mm-hmm. all as one thing. Like he, he, he's, consciously purposefully making a song about a guy who is more vulnerable than he realizes i think like i don't think he actually did this without even realizing i think he's like 
very much aware of the great tension it's going to create when he starts out sounding tough and ends up sounding like totally brokenhearted. <laughs> um, the verse just before the enemy within one where he says, there's a line in the road, there's a demon escaped, there's a million dreams gone, there's a landscape being raped. As her beauty fades and I watch her undrape, I won't, but then maybe again, I might. Oh, if I could just find you tonight. I've always, I love it when Bob does that whole kind of, you know, the, 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 the triumvirate thing of where he's thinking of someone else, but he's with another person uh, that, you yes. know, he has that in so many of his songs, Tangled Up in Blue or Visions of Johanna or Brownsville Girl. But I love this idea that this woman that he's with, he's with this other woman and her beauty yeah. is fading as she, as she undresses. Now, maybe it's the stripper from a couple yeah. verses earlier. We don't really know. Yeah. And then, you know, he's clearly going to spend the night with her. He's I won't, but maybe again, I might. But he's thinking of this other girl. I mean, it's just it fan just the the longing in that of like I'm with this other person, but I'm not even thinking of her. I'm thinking of you while I'm doing it. It's just so it's so painful <laughs> to listen to sometimes. <laughs> well, actually, I I always often might might have thought that in that line he's still singing about the same woman, but he's like he's like reliving the stuff they've been through together as though she's there with him, even though she's totally oh, interesting. not there with him. Okay. So that might be yeah. another way to read that. But I also, I agree with you because in Street Legal, he's he's like, it seems to me like in these songs, he's navigating the whole like, oh, all right, I'll take a chance. I'll fall in love with you, like new person. But like, sorry, I'm still totally in love with that old person that I'm singing all these other songs about. Like he's he is sort of seeming to be trying out this this sort of stage of getting over things and starting a new pony or new whatever stuff even though he's not quite over the old person yet. So that totally might be what's happening. Me? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's, there's so much in this. Yeah, <laughs> There's just so much. In yeah. This. That we just, that we just can't know. <laughs> oh man. And so then he gets to that. I fought with my twin, that enemy within, I mean, most, I think most people that have ever walked on the planet earth feel that way. Sometimes mm-hmm. I almost think that if you haven't, you're probably not really self-examining yourself very much. You probably don't want to <laughs> hang around with those kind of people, but, right. and then horseplay and disease, is killing me by degrees while the law looks the other way. Now, I don't like to fall into this trap, but it's inevitable because it's just my level of fandom is I know about the guy's life. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, it's like it it's more than that. But you can't I can't help it sometimes. And I know most of us know that right around when he wrote these songs, he wrote them up in his farm in Minnesota. By the way, he wrote the two albums, the three albums that we know for certain he wrote at his farm in Minnesota are blood on the tracks, street legal and time out of mind. I would yeah. argue he, Bob should go back to the farm in Minnesota. Right more, <laughs> totally. It seems to be a pretty fertile ground for yes. songwriting. So just, that's a, just as an aside there, but we all know that around this time, he was going through a very public and very acrimonious divorce yeah. where he, they were talking about fighting over the custody of the children. And, Again, just because something is inspired by something doesn't mean it's about that thing. But when I hear the lines, horseplay and disease is killing me by degrees while the law looks the other way. I was like, what is that horseplay? Horseplay is not a bad thing. Was it? And from to me, that is, he's describing, it's, it's in a grim way he's describing it. But it's to me, he's describing his kids. What do kids do? They horseplay. You know, like they wrestle, right? Yes, I've said that line to my kids. (laughs) Right, yeah. No more horse playing. And and disease is like when they get sick, you know, when they're Mm -hmm. when they're ill, when they're this and those things are missing, and he's that's killing him because he's their father and he's he he doesn't get sick. While the law looks the other way, which is we know, and again, if we want to interpret it this way, yeah, the, the the courts were kind of really favoring his wife in this proceeding. And I would imagine if you're the other guy, you're feeling very like, Hey, I'm not getting a fair shake here. And so to me, those lines always feel like that's a father who is being torn apart by missing the, even though it's disease is not, you know, disease sounds terrible. It's part of raising children and he misses it because he misses being their father on a day-to-day basis. But definitely horseplay is like a word that you think about children. Yeah, Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, the disease could be, again, disease sounds like much more serious than sickness or something. But, you know, again, yeah. he's, he's. It could, it could just be a rhyme. I'm, I'm. It could be of, that too. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I just, sometimes it's just a rhyme that needs to be a rhyme. But 
he didn't have to rhyme anything with horseplay. He picked that one on purpose. That's right. That's right. But then he follows it up with your partners in crime. Hit yeah. me up for nickels and dimes. Yeah. That sounds like a divorce lawyer, right? You know, your partners <laughs> yes. in crime hit me up for nickels and dimes. The guy, the guy you were loving could never get clean. Uh, by the way, I noticed the lines on BobDillon.com are slightly changed. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. Uh, he, the line yeah. here is the guy you were loving couldn't stay clean when he doesn't, he sings on the song, the man you were loving could never get clean, get clean. Yeah. A little difference. It felt out of place, my foot in his face, but he should have stayed where his money was green, which again, I love the mm-hmm. sort of violence mm-hmm. of that. I bit into the root of the forbidden fruit with the juice running down my leg. Then I dealt with your boss. Who's never known about loss and was always too proud to beg. And I'll tell you, I don't know what any of those lines really mean, but man, when I sing alone to them, I'm screaming them because they sound so <laughs> profound. Yeah, they do. Even though that particular line, I've actually sometimes like shaken my head with, because like, who, like if he's never known about loss, then why would he have to be, why would he have to ever beg? Like maybe it didn't <laughs> matter that he was too proud to beg because he's, he's never known about loss. So like that's irrelevant. So it's like another one of those things where it doesn't even mean anything or does it just mean the words that sound good in that combination because he's just like kind of messing around to make up something that sounds fun. Because really what the song is about is where are you tonight? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are, everything else is just kind of secondary. And actually, I, I was really surprised when I looked at the song and I see like, okay, there's 13 verses and this is the structure of the song. He only actually says, where are you tonight? Twice. And it it feels like it's like such an important part of the song, like it's mm-hmm. the title of the song, but it feels like that's the unifying thing that brings the whole song together. And like, I was surprised it didn't show up more in there. Yeah. It sounds like it would be the chorus and there's no chorus here. Like There is no. Yeah. <laughs> it is really weird that there's the chorus is just that line. Even like the, the verse that leads up to what would be the chorus is different every time until it gets to that final line, like three mm-hmm. times. Now I know that the line that's about the, line. The, the juice running down your leg is he nicked that from a Robert Johnson mm-hmm. song where they simply yeah. talk about that. And I, I remember hearing that line and, and thinking, boy, that's really like graphic for yes. 1978, <laughs> you know, but he's doing it yeah. cleverly in a way that it doesn't sound great. But I remember just being like, wow, that, that can really only be one thing that he's talking about. And like, <laughs> there it is. Okay. Right, that it's right next to like the biblical reference of the forbidden fruit. Like it's a really, like he, he put it in a very safe context. Like he's only talking about a forbidden fruit right there. I don't know. Like, because <laughs> I think there's some, some, uh, uh, these, of these references to some religious, like some biblical things that are leading up to his, like he was thinking about Christianity already at this stage of his life. So maybe that's, that's one of the references that slipped into this song. Now, see, that's funny that you mentioned that because the the last two verses definitely sound like someone who, yeah. and I, I mentioned this in other episodes, of course, that I feel like Bob's final songs always preview what the next record is going to be yeah. in some way. Now, that can't be the case because he doesn't really necessarily even know. But I feel like it happens more than it doesn't. And these yeah. last couple verses sound like someone who maybe has found some yeah. other salvation past the heartbreak of the woman and it made me think was he already on the born again train at this point and i went and looked it up and that famous incident where the somebody threw a cross uh, onto a stage happened in november of 78 well this record came out in june of 78 so that 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 was okay. long after but huh. i have to think that you know that the, the person throwing the cross on the stage is a nice uh dramatic way to put the as a story turn in Bob's life, like, Oh, somebody threw a cross and that he had to have been yeah, going thinking that about road it. before that, that, that yeah, would yeah. not have been the inciting incident is some person just throwing the cross. And that's what it sounds like to me is this, these, these last couple of verses is somebody who's like, I'm in such agony, but I think I found something else. And he just has the line. If I'm here in the morning, baby, you'll know I survived, you know, mm-hmm. but he's still missing this woman. But there, there is, there's some desperate salvation going on here right at the very yeah. end. Like, you you know, if you didn't know that context about his Christian, you know, beliefs or whatever, you could just think that he's, he's kind of finding peace with his loss of the woman. Like maybe he's, he's reaching some sweet paradise where he's like, he's over her. He's okay. Or maybe he believes she's going to come back or something that's making him feel like he's finally arrived. But it also could be a religious arrival that he feels like he's coming to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he said there's a there's a pathway that leads up to the stars. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't believe there's a price for this sweet paradise, to remind me yeah. to show you the scars. You know, and then that final verse where he's 
he's just like yelling it out. There's a new day at dawn and I finally yeah. arrived. I'm here in the morning, baby. Noise. I can't believe it. I can't believe yeah. I'm alive, which is this amazing yeah. feeling of, of <laughs> deliverance. But then it ends with, but without you, it just doesn't seem right. Oh, where are you tonight? And then he gives the, the end of the song and the end of the record to the guitar player and the backup mm-hmm. singers, you know, which <laughs> yeah. I feel is kind of very generous in a way that he's the lead singer, but yet he's, oh, that's interesting. The, the song continues on for a good 30 seconds with the screaming guitar and the girls going, Hey, 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 Hey. And it just fades. Yeah. Out. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, oh man. <laughs> it's like just, there's so much atmosphere that builds in the song. Maybe it just like, imagine if it ended abruptly, you just like, it would be oh. like getting whiplash. Like that would not be yeah. easy. So maybe he just needs that to sustain a little bit, the atmosphere that he's built. Maybe so. It just needs, yeah, a little bit of good, give somebody a breather. I mean, you know, the, the record, the whole record fades in and this line right. final song fades out. You know, yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. Which is not always something that he does. Now, uh, the, one of the things that uh, all street legal fans have been clamoring for for years is the bootleg series of the street legal sessions. Still, uh-huh. this record remains untouched mostly by the bootleg series. Now, there's always this talk that because they were recorded in a different way and the tapes were, I don't even know I, the, the details of it, but basically I've heard some people say, there is no way to remaster these tapes because of the way they were recorded because mm-hmm. there was like bleed into the, cause everything was being done live and there was bleed into the mics and stuff like that. I don't care. I need to hear this <laughs> stuff. Okay. Totally. Because I, you know, I read that there were at least three or four takes of this song, maybe not completed, but there were versions with less members of the band and he kind of kept adding band members through the versions until we got to this one where it's the full there's like 15 people playing on this song all at once, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there are, there are alternate takes of it and damn it. I need to hear these. Come on, Sony. Yeah, what are we totally. doing? It's hard to imagine another version that I'd like better than this. Like this song seems so perfect, but yeah, it would be so interesting to hear. Oh, I, you know, yeah, no, I, I know. I do not believe for one moment that anything that there's good. They're going to pull out anything off the street legal bootleg series. And I'm going to go, yeah. Wow, that outdoes the one on the record because I love the record so much. But A, you never know. It's Bob. And B, I just want to hear it anyway. I want to totally. hear the building blocks. I want to hear him kind of noodling with this and seeing where he goes with it and to watch it get kind of crazier and crazier as it goes on. You know, I need to mm-hmm. hear these things. So Sony, let's get come on. <laughs> let's get let's get going. Um, live wise, um, I I knew this had been performed live. I knew it hadn't been performed very much. 33 times over the course of 1978. You can listen to a bunch of them on YouTube. And I went and and did. And I like them. Some of them are actually quite, they're like much faster, uh, much more up-tempo. And he's got the backup singers. And I like them. And it's it's funny. If you listen to some of the live versions, they sound, it sounds very crowd-pleasing. Like it's a real big rave up. (laughs) Considering how dark this song is, it's kind of surprising. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, huh? I saw that it was only played in 1978, so I didn't go looking to see if you could hear it anywhere. I figured like that there probably isn't going to be anything, but I should try. I should hear those. Yeah, there's a couple on YouTube, and and uh, you know, it's funny. I think maybe people are responding to the energy of it, even though it's just an incredibly dark song. But a couple of them, they said, are, are much more up tempo, which gives it a slightly peppier feel, uh, even though the words are all the same. But uh, but yeah, you mm-hmm. can you can hear them. But yeah, it's just it's. Uh, it, I I can imagine that at a certain point he lost the emotional connection to the song, and so he doesn't want to oh, do maybe. it anymore. Yeah, because but... I feel like this this is a song. I think it's a song about I don't know even like personal experience in terms of like actual specific incidents and things that happened to him. But at a stage of his life where he was like writing, a, like he was feeling like an experienced guy, like he'd been through some stuff, and that was kind of flavoring the writing he was doing. So. Maybe once you'd, you know, once you were no longer in that phase of your life, then this song wouldn't have the same meaning or the same importance anymore. Yeah, I think so. I think that is what goes on with him sometimes is that he has to feel some sort of through line to it, even if it's some obscure thing from 60 years. You know, he wants to do if dogs run free all of a sudden. OK, he's feeling mm-hmm. he's got some connection to it that we can't imagine, but he's feeling it. But this this might be something that's just it's. It, it's the kind of song that if you listen to it and you say, am I surprised that the next turn this guy took was to find religion? No, it's not. <laughs> you know, yeah, you totally that's buy it. true. 
Yeah. It's it's a guy who sounds like he's at the end of his rope and he needs something and uh, he goes and he finds it. But it's just it to me, it is one of the great achievements. This record is one of his great achievements. That's saying something. And this song is a highlight on an album full of absolute classics. And so maybe um, there'd even maybe there'd even be a, a religious uh, scholar who would argue that when he says, where are you tonight? He's actually just singing to God or Jesus or somebody. I don't know. All that is that. possible. What do you think about it? Right. It could be a guy who's desperately looking for salvation, but he's not finding it in that night. Where are you tonight? Yeah, I didn't I didn't think of this song. Like I can hear the desperation in his voice and I can hear that he likes deep down underneath everything, like sort of his exterior of bravado that I think he's putting on, that he really still is tormented by the loss of this woman. But I I wasn't thinking so much of all the other scenarios that he's talking about and the whole song itself being kind of such a messed up it's like showing such a messed up picture of a person. But if he is really feeling that desperate overall, maybe his cry out for somebody is even to a higher power and not just to that lady that he was in love with. I don't know. It'd be. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, because I forgot to bring it up, we were talking about earlier, is that, you know, the visuals of this wrong, this record has, and this song has so many great lines that conjure images in your head. And, you know, this album's released in June, right? Right in the the, the middle of the summer, which is so funny. You don't think of this as like a summer album, you know, like, but, but I mean, you know, the, 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 the parentheses of the song is a journey through a dark heat and yeah. the woman is bathing in a stream of pure heat. And yeah. you can almost feel like that the studio they recorded this in was hot, you know, like the air conditioning wasn't on. There's 15 people. There's a ton of instruments. It was just hot. It was just uncomfortable. And it just made everybody kind of sing and play for their, as if their life depended on it. Yeah, that's I could imagine it. <laughs> just like, yeah, it just it I, 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 you know, it's like I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Thank God I'm not that guy. I get to enjoy the music, but I don't mm-hmm. want to be that guy because he sounds really unhappy. You know, this guy <laughs> sounds terribly, terribly unhappy. So it's it. It's a masterpiece of a song, and uh, there was a reason why. Again, back when we just started the show, I got to it so soon because I love it, and I feel like it's still a little unappreciated. So I've been waiting for the longest time to get back to it. So again, like I said, oh. when you when you brought it up, I was like, solid. We're, we're good to go. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, it was so fun to think about it. Like, I've always really loved this song, but I didn't really like sit down and look at all the words and think about like, who's actually telling this story and ask some of those questions. So this was really, and I was, I was worried, like, what if I don't figure anything out or I don't have any ideas, <laughs> but I was, I was glad to find lots. Yeah, I knew there was no way that was going to happen. I just, you know, <laughs> right. I, read, I read your comics. I read the book, you know, the stuff you've done about it. I was like, you've put a lot of thought into this. There's no, I wasn't worried about that. So, well, Sam, I mean, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate that you just sort of reached out to me on Twitter one day. And I said, I've really been enjoying what you're, you're doing just as a comics fan, even uh, the Dylan stuff mm-hmm. accepted. I'm just enjoying the, the you know, the, the, the style that you bring to it. And it's a very, you know, it's very specific. It's very coming from you you know I, you know kind of saying i feel like i'm getting to know you through the comics and that's kind of how it it, it should work in the best of way so thank you for I, I doing it it's it's a mutual feeling because i've been i've been having some like like lots of hard years with lots of like family caregiving going on lots of hard work and i've been really enjoying having your podcast as like something that is just like a release from all the everyday stuff and i can just think about like the love of bob dylan that all these fans share and but through that, also getting a sense of like, oh, who are you? And like the stuff that you like street legal and you studied art and like that kind of thing. So it's been fun to, yeah, have that as a something to, to I don't know, just get me through hard times and enjoy something that has been kind of new for me. I think I only listened to your podcast within the last year. So I didn't know about it before that. Oh, well, that's I'm I'm glad you're along for the ride now. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm, glad I'm, I'm definitely here. Excellent. Well, okay. We have to do our standard exit question. Of course, you know, this is coming, which is if there's any Bob recording session that you could sit in on might be this one. And I know it might be very uncomfortable, but if there's anyone that you could sit in on, what would it be? Yeah, I thought about this. I had a few ideas, but I think I would pick, I I wouldn't mind either good as I've been to you or world gone wrong. Those two albums are really, really special to me and I love them both. And I think like, I really maybe it's I've inherited from my dad a love of folk music and just plain old voice and guitar and so I think if I was in a and I guess I've never been too like captivated by all the details of 
who was in which band and what kind of instrument did they play and what was the accompaniment and all those different kinds of things as much as I am about the lyrics of the songs and Bob's performance of the songs. So I think that would be my best chance of just getting Bob and a guitar and nothing else. That would be what I'd pick. That's the great answers, you know, it'd be, it'd be an amazing music lesson to go mm-hmm. through these old folk songs and just being played to you by the master sitting here yeah. and she's doing that. So yeah, that would be uh, just you and Debbie Gold and and Bob there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and, and uh, my my Micah Micah Ryan, I believe, is the other person. That's it. It'd be pretty 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 quiet group. So that's a great answer. So well, okay. Well, as we're wrapping up here, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Yeah, on I I've always only been on Twitter, and only recently I'm trying to expand to some other platforms as Twitter is not such a happy place anymore. But in all those platforms, I'm just Calgary Hester because I live in Calgary, and uh, yeah, most recently I've been posting on a Substack. but if you just look up sam hester and Substack and or under calgary hester then you can find these bob dylan comics that i've been writing all right excellent well again thank you so much and i i implore everybody if you're uh, a dylan fan or you're a comics fan uh go check uh, out what sam is doing i think it's a really interesting stuff and so again oh, thank you so, so much, much. For, thank, yeah thank you so much for being here and, yeah, my uh, pleasure. absolutely so uh thank you all uh for listening this year this is our last show of uh, 2023 and we've obviously made some big changes to the show uh, over the course of this year and thank you all for sticking with me for those of you that are subscribing i really do appreciate it. and of course if you want to support the show you can hear the full extended episodes every week plus our bonus shows you can go subscribe to pod dylan on apple podcasts or on fmpods.com so again thanks to all my guests i like to try and at the end of the year, read off the names of all my guests, but that would be a really, that would be like 50 names. That's not an exciting way to end the show. So I'm just going to say thank you all who have been guests on my show for this year. And I'm looking forward to continuing on the show uh, next year. So uh, I want you all to have a a happy and safe new year, and uh, we will see you in 2024. Uh, Until then, bye. There is a new star in the heavens. And the quest for excellence in flight has been achieved. It is called the Air Canada Intercontinental, unparalleled North Atlantic service. First class includes sleeper seats. The new executive class offers advanced seat selection, maple leaf lounge privileges, wider seats, more leg room, and complimentary bar. New hospitality service offers complimentary drinks, full course meal, and movies. Air Canada Intercontinental, the new star in the heavens.